Please join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Open our ears, hearts, and minds to hear your voice and to live your word. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning to you. Uh, my name is Blair, and it's a privilege to stand in Rick's place while he and Molly and the girls are away on holiday. And it's a special joy for Elizabeth and our daughter Ellie uh, to be with you and our daughter Megan, who regularly worships here, uh, to be together with you for the service today. Elizabeth and I recently returned after living in North Africa for almost eight months. Tunisia is the land of the early church of St. Augustine and St. Cyprian. I was serving as the interim priest at St. George's Anglican Church in Tunis. We had two congregations, one Arabic-speaking one that met on Saturdays and an English one that met on Sunday. Rick spoke last week on the family, the church family, and I was reminded of the huge family of God that stretches across the world. I know that the people there at St. George's in Tunis would want to greet you. They would put their hand over their heart and they would say, Aslema, peace to you. We were blessed to hear their testimonies of how many of them had come to faith. Many had had dreams and supernatural and transforming visions of Jesus Christ himself. And it was these dreams and supernatural work of God that brought them into God's family. Now this morning, we're going to focus on the gospel reading in Mark 4. Here Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God and tells the parable of the mustard seed. We're going to consider three points. The nature, the person, and the invitation of God, the kingdom of God. I hope that you've all received one of these bookmark cards with the mustard seed taped on the front. Now, there are different mustard seeds. One originates, for example, in Persia and grows to 20 to 25 feet. It's as tall as it is wide. It's huge. But mustard seed is not actually the smallest seed in the world. Perhaps their gardeners here would testify that there are even smaller ones than the one that you see on the card. But in relation to seeds commonly used in Jesus' day, it was the smallest. Now we note, as we look at the card and the mustard seed there, we note the smallness of the seed in stark contrast to the potential largeness of the plant. Jesus is telling us to notice the small and humble beginnings of faith and of God's word. But the eventual magnificence and extensiveness of the kingdom of God. Now my wife Elizabeth reminds me from time to time that I'm a four on the Enneagram chart. And in Strength Finders, I like to understand the context. So please bear with me. I would like to step back for a moment and consider the first three chapters of Mark. I'd like to reference just a couple of verses, because by referencing them, they will help us to grasp what Jesus' perspective is on the kingdom of God. 
and what he is trying to show the crowd that was gathered that day, and especially to the disciples. He wanted them to understand a little bit about the kingdom through telling this parable. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, first of all, let's consider the region, the region of Galilee. Jesus focused his work in the region of Galilee. Now, it's not an area of pastoral peace and quiet that we might imagine or that what might we have seen in Sunday school materials. In Jesus' time, Galilee was the center of political and commercial life. It was the crossroads of the ancient world. It was the home of a thoroughly cosmopolitan population. The languages of Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic would have been heard in the markets. The ethnic groups, the Syrians, Jews, Romans, Parthians, mixed freely in society. And life was further complicated on a higher level by the occupation of the Roman Empire and then troubles and misunderstandings with the religious leaders of the day. Jesus began his ministry in a place of conflict, of racial diversity, and of much activity. Secondly, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I am the long-awaited Messiah. I have come to break the power of sin and death. Now, this is good news. It was good news to them, and it's good news for us today. The time has come, another phrase. God's kingdom has always been in existence. But now, all the centuries of waiting, of preparation and prophecy are reaching their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. His coming makes the already existent kingdom accessible to us. And then fourthly, the kingdom is near. It's not far away in some distant place. It's like pulling back a curtain and seeing it just there. It is right here all around us, even in this theater. The kingdom is not a geographical area, but it is God's sovereignty, his reign and his rule through his son, the Lord Jesus a rule that will eventually be manifested throughout the whole world. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So with this background, with this context, let's look at, first of all, the nature of the kingdom. Now, my Nick dictionary tells me that the nature of something focuses on the innate and essential qualities or character of the thing. Let me describe the nature of the kingdom in three different ways. First of all, the inherent power, the strength and the ability in a seed. The God of creation created seeds. He made them. The inherent quality of seeds that when they are planted, they grow. There is a hidden energy at work below the surface of the ground. Now the same applies to the seed of faith, to God's word. When it is planted, it grows. Secondly, the impact. Now we used to have a biggish kind of garden in the back of our 
uh, home here in Minneapolis. The butternut squash and the raspberry bushes grew very well, and they tended to take lots of space, and if we didn't watch them, they'd take over the garden. When you consider history, we see that the kingdom of God is like that. We could spend the morning just considering how kingdom values have impacted education. Many universities around the world were founded by people of faith. Medical care, think of mission hospitals around the world serving many people in diverse places. Think of the impact of the Judeo-Christian faith on legal issues, justice, and governments around the world. I grew up in the British colony of Hong Kong. When I was a boy, I knew older women who, when they were young, had had their feet bound. It was a diabolical practice of old Chinese culture. It was to show that women didn't have to work or were um, able to live with servants, and they could only just hobble like this because of their feet being bound. But at the turn of the 20th century, it was Christians who influenced the Chinese government at the time to ban the practice of feet binding. You see, the impact of the kingdom crosses all boundaries and an influence for good in our world and in all of society. But then thirdly, the gospel of the kingdom transforms many individuals. The first three chapters of Mark give many examples of Jesus' transforming work in individual lives. The transformation of Levi, the tax collector, is a great example. In that account, Jesus said, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. The mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds in the world. The good news of the kingdom of God may have small beginnings, but in the end, growth is guaranteed. It will impact many, and many lives will ultimately be completely transformed. But the kingdom of God is not a political or philosophical theory. It is not an ide ideology or a manifesto. The kingdom of God is a person. So the person of the kingdom, the actual discernible, tangible expression of the kingdom is Jesus himself. And Mark, through his gospel, makes this very clear. First of all, Jesus, the Son of God, is introduced in his book by the prophet Isaiah. He is further endorsed by John the Baptist and baptized by him. He is empowered by the Holy Spirit and affirmed by God himself when God speaks from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. Jesus, as we know, reading through the gospel, is the spiritual and physical restorer of many people. The first three chapters of Mark highlight many examples of Jesus' work to restore people to wholeness. In Mark chapter 2, we find the account of the paralytic. You know the story well. The four men bring their friend. They lower him from the roof to the feet of Jesus. When Jesus sees their faith, he says to, them, says to the man on the mat, Your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. And thirdly, we see through the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the One who shows us the Kingdom. And He shows us this ultimately by giving His life 
on the cross. Jesus, the living word, going into the ground and dying to grow the kingdom. Jesus is the embodiment of the kingdom, and we connect to the kingdom through him. And that brings us to the invitation of the kingdom. Now, Elizabeth and I lived and worked in London for some years. One afternoon, I was at someone's home for a meeting. From where I was sitting in his living room, I could see the street, and I was fascinated as a Rolls-Royce car pulled up in front of the house. On the top of the car was a golden crown. A man in red and gold livery got out of the car and came and rang the doorbell. And he was hand-delivering a dinner invitation from Her Majesty the Queen. It was most impressive, as you can imagine. God himself came in human form. Jesus came and personally delivered a three-part invitation on behalf of God the Father. I'd like to reference back to Mark 1, 14 and 15, and two other verses. Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And in following verses, Jesus invites disciples to follow. He called them, he appointed them. So the three parts of the invitation are Repent, a change of direction, a change of mind, a turning away from incorrect attitudes and thoughts, words, and deeds. In brief, a change of heart and action. And we will do this in our service as we confess our sins just before the saying of the peace. First of all, the invitation is to repent. Secondly, to believe. More, it's more than credence or simple consent. It is taking by faith with a commitment to live it out. It is a commitment to a person, to the person of Jesus himself. And then Jesus, as we see, invited the disciples to follow him. He called them and appointed them. Jesus invites the disciples to follow them. Then in Mark 3, he calls those he wanted and appointed them, saying that they might be with him. It is this emphasis that they might be with him that makes all the difference. Jesus came in person to invite you and me to join him in the kingdom of God, to be with him and then to partner with him in inviting others into the kingdom. Someday soon, Jesus will return. His kingdom, his rule, his reign will be fully realized at that time on earth. This parable of the mustard seed can speak to us Minnesotans. Jesus taught that day sitting in a boat along the shore of a lake. Many of us so look forward to our lake time in the summer. Right after telling this parable, Jesus said to the disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. And as they traveled that night, they encountered a furious squall, and the boat was nearly swamped. The disciples shook Jesus awake and said, don't you care that we drown? The last many months, we have 
been, so to speak, on a journey. On a journey across a lake, and multiple storms have arisen, individually and collectively. We face an uncertain future, and there are forces at work that are beyond us. As believers, Rick reminded us last week that we are part of God's family, but we're also citizens of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is a reality in which we live. Jesus asked the question that day, what shall we say the kingdom is like? It starts small, but by its nature will grow, and it will impact, and its impact will be total and all-consuming. The kingdom is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, who died and was raised to life and invites you and me to be with him in his kingdom. So what's the takeaway for today? How can we as individuals respond? We recognize that we are bombarded on every side. We're confronted on every side by the values of the kingdom of this world. Often these values are advanced by means of power or self-advancement or wealth, or maybe we can note other things. But in stark contrast, the kingdom of God advances by a seed that goes into the ground and dies. Yet it grows. And from this smallness, it grows into a place where all are invited to come and find protection and rest and care. Now, in these hot days, we need shade. But we need so much more. And we can start by seeing ourselves sitting in his complete loving care, sitting in his kingdom. And we can see ourselves as part of a growing and expanding kingdom. And we can take great encouragement and heart from that. Now, in a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we will pray together the prayer our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can also be praying, asking God to extend his kingdom, his reign, his rule in our lives, in the lives of our families, and in our community and in our nation. And we can trust him to grow what is planted. We can trust that he will lead us in some tangible outworkings that will benefit society and his kingdom. And we can trust that ultimately he will bring great glory to his name. Amen.